We turn then to God's word this morning as it's found in the Gospel of John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. We're going to read uh, this morning the first five verses of John chapter 1. The fifth verse was the theme verse for the convention uh, that uh, we've just come back from. And uh, so we'll read it in the context of that, those first five. Let's hear then God's breathed out word to you and I this morning. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. As far the reading of his word, I invite you to leave your scriptures open as we Make use of not only this passage this morning, but several others as well. Let's bow in prayer once again. Our gracious God and Father, we thank thee, Lord, for this opportunity to come into thy house and worship thee once again, and open thy word, and see the word on the written page. We, Lord, we pray that we can take these words into our heart and apply those to our lives. Lord, we pray that thou be with Pastor Bob as he explains these words to us, and we may carry that light into the world that we come in contact with on a regular basis. We pray this all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. So this morning, we have remaining uh, for our message today. Uh, what we attempt to do on this Sunday morning after the convention is we seek, and I as the pastor, seek to, to present what we've heard over the course of this week. That's 10 workshops, each an hour long. So we're taking 10 hours worth of material. Plus, we're taking five main sessions, each an hour long as well. So that's 15 hours of material that, Lord willing, we're trying, going to try to Pressed down into about 35 minutes, the Lord willing. Now, if you stop to think about that, you realize that can't be done. Okay? You can't take 15 hours of teaching material from God's Word and, and really present it fully and completely. But it gives you a little bit of taste. That's why I encouraged you after the service to, to find one of these young people or their leaders uh, uh, to dig in a little bit deeper, to ask, uh, a good question to ask would be to ask them, so what was your favorite workshop that you attended? That'd be a good question to ask one of them, and uh, because they've all gone through this and we've done it in one way or another, they all should be able to present you with a good answer, except what you're probably going to hear is, I liked them all. I liked them all. And uh, it, it truly was one of those uh, conventions where um, 
you know, usually as we're going around talking about it, uh, there might be one or two, ah, that wasn't so good, or I didn't think he really made the point, or uh, it was hard to listen to. Heard none of that this time around. And so uh, uh, I think the Spirit was truly at work, not only in uh, uh, the men who conducted all those workshops, but in our young people and our leaders as well. So we want to look at this subject of be the light or being the light under three main points this morning. First of all, the identity of the light. Who's being talked about here as the light shines in the darkness? What, who is this? Secondly, the effect of the light, which if you look at verse 5 should not be too hard to figure out. The third is the reality of the light. And uh, how that comes to play in your and my life today. So the identity of the light, the effect of the light, and the reality of the light. Well, first of all, let's just look at the text. If we look at these verses and then look at the broader context of the rest of John's gospel and John chapter 1... Who is being talked about? Who is the one who is the Word? Who is the one who was with God? Who is the one who was God? Who was the one who was with God in the beginning? Who is the one through whom all things have been made? Who is the one in whom there is life? Who is the one then who is the light of men? Or as verse 5 states it, the light shining in the darkness. Or, as you go down to verse 9, the true light, which gets light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. See, the light is personified. The light that we're talking about here is not the physical light, although I think it fits that as well, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But what John, through the Holy Spirit, is meaning to convey to us in this chapter is that Jesus Christ is the light. And he says as much, if you were to turn to John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He reiterates that in John chapter 9, verse 5. Now that's no big news, right? That's no big news. In fact, the, the very first speaker uh, at, at the convention for the main uh, section kind of had his feet taken out from under him because he asked the question, so who is the light, expecting that the answer would be the church or we are. And then he could go into his presentation. However, we raise very bright, very astute, very knowledgeable young people and so when he asked the question, who is the light, the answer came back pretty resoundingly, Jesus. And he was kind of stunned for a minute because I don't think he was quite expecting all of our young people, 750 folks gathered there, to really have the answer correct. But he recovered well and went on. But we can't just quickly go on. We, we have to be careful with this, and, we, and we, we have to get this right. We are the light, yes, we'll get to that, but it's only because Jesus is the light. 
He is the, as verse 9 says, true light. He is the one single solitary light. That's what the text is telling us. Secondly, we can go back to creation to recover this. Look at the connection that is obviously here as John begins his gospel. In the beginning. And then what's the first subject he really talks about? Light. What happens if you and I, let's do it, go back to Genesis chapter 1? We start with the very same words. In the beginning. And what is the first thing we learn about the first day of creation? In the beginning, verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning that first day. So there is a clear mark that God makes. When he creates, verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 1 tells us that the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. The complete absence of light. The complete absence of light. Probably the closest you and I could come to exploring that or having some way of relating to it is not doing this. Just close your eyes. That's not darkness. That's not darkness. Your eyelids are letting in far too much light for that to be darkness. Some of you perhaps have experienced tours, for example, to to mammoth caves or perhaps Merrimack caverns or maybe you've gone to some other cave and been on the tour and somewhere in the tour, okay, they shut the light off and all the lights go off and it is dark. The complete absence of of light. Eh, maybe, right? There still might be some filtering in. But it gets us close. But this darkness is the total absence of light. What happens on day one is God says, let there be light, and there is light, and now there is no darkness. That the darkness is now gone because of God's creation of that light. But on day four, I want you to note what God does. God assigns this light, we would say perhaps, to to luminaries. He assigns it to the sun, the moon as the reflector, but to the stars. Isn't it interesting that God never leaves this world in complete absolute darkness. Even when the sun goes down and is long past the horizon and is down on the other side of the world, as it were, God still leaves his light, those stars. It's one of the most interesting phrases, I think, of all of Scripture, the end of that fourth day, and he made the stars also. And yet from what we know from astronomy, the size, The intensity of the light of those stars. He couldn't bring them any closer. We couldn't stand it. 
They have to be the distances they are. But yet in the darkest of nights, God still leaves his lights in this world. The darkness is gone because God has created the light and assigned it to these light bearers. But there is something, as I said, yes, there is physical light. Yes, I think that's a reflection of the glory of God, Jesus Christ, as well. Certainly, God in his fullness, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, his glory on display there in those first three days of creation. But that word light, as it appears in Scripture, has broader understandings. Go with me, for example, to Psalm 4. Now, for those of you who are at the evangelism conference, you probably have some of these notes already at this point. That's okay. Repetition is good, we learned this week. Psalm 4, 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Isn't that interesting? The light of God's face. Lift that up upon us. Remember the benediction that we give at the end of a service? Sometimes we use the benediction out of numbers. May the light of your face shine upon us, right? The smile, your countenance. Well, what does that really mean? It means blessing. Light is associated with the idea of God's blessing, of God's goodness, of God's love, of God's care for us as his people. And isn't it really not what God is teaching us even back in Genesis chapter 1? Imagine living in this world of absolute darkness. You go, we couldn't do it. If you've been on one of those cave tours, you're not getting out. It's nothing but stumble and fall. Life can't exist in that absolute darkness. God's goodness is shown in that he brings light into this world so that the rest of life can indeed take place even as God has brought in the true light into this world so that we might have life. See, Genesis 1 and John 1 fit together. They correspond to one another. Go with me to Psalm 27, verse 1. Verse we know very well. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Light and salvation. So not only is light representative of the blessing of God, it's also an example of the salvation of God. That God has saved that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire that leads his people out of Egypt to the promised land. A sign of God has saved them daily, every day. They saw that sign of God's salvation in the light that God blessed them with. Turn with me to Psalm 36, verse 9. Psalm 36, verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Now when you understand the way in which Psalms function, okay, light and life correspond to one another. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is light, light is not only blessing, light is not only salvation, 
Light is life. And isn't that what John in John chapter 1 just told us? In him was light, and that light was the life. They go together. Let's do one more. Psalm 89, 15. Psalm 89, 15. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. It's the picture of the presence of God. And it is that picture of God's presence that is what John and the rest of the New Testament is picking up on. Jesus Christ came into this world. The very presence of God dwelt among us. He tabernacled amongst us. He lived amongst us. And the New Testament takes up then the understanding that light means or has the idea of the manifestation of God's self-existent being. That's who Christ is. Christ is the manifestation of God's self-existent being. Light. Now what does the manifestation of God's self-existent being do. What is the effect? Point two. Go back with me to John chapter one. John chapter one. Look with me again at verse five. The light does what? The light shines in the darkness. The light doesn't shine in light. Light shines in the darkness. That's the effect. What does the, the, what is the effect of the manifestation of God's self-existent being in this world? He shines. He shines into the darkness. John chapter 1. Jesus Christ, light, comes and shines into the darkness, but the darkness has not received him. But to all who by faith do, he is the light of men. See how this is working? The lights affect the presence of Christ in this world is to shine into the darkness. Look at verse 5, second half, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, light, and this is one of the principles of light. Light can fill darkness, but darkness can never overwhelm light. If we're in Mammoth Cave and they turn the lights off, there is nothing the darkness of that cave can do to overwhelm the light. 
But the light shines into the darkness. See, the darkness never wins. The darkness cannot overwhelm the light. There's always light. I can put my hand there, but there's light. I can put my hand closer, but there's always light. It can't take care of the light. There is always light. So to demonstrate this at, at RYS, because this was, you probably figured out, this was my part, one of my sections to deal with. We turned off all the lights in the auditorium, okay? And it was surprisingly how dark it actually was. So we have this mammoth auditorium. Probably could seat maybe a thousand. We had 750. Yeah, it was probably could seat a thousand. Huge. It's dark. And all I did is this. And not only could you see this, but this had an effect upon that entire room. It made a difference. One little light. Of course, I had some friends. I had a wonderful youth group that was up on stage. And as I turned mine on, we just went down the row. And it became the, it, the effect. I, I, they gave us flashlights. I didn't know that was coming. Okay? So that was just kind of an invention at the moment. Okay? And, and so we're standing there. And as each one of us turned on our flashlight, there was less and less darkness. Here was a section of probably 150 young people. I said, turn yours on. The effect of that was amazing. And then the next section, and pretty soon all 750 of us are sitting there with a, our little light shining in the room that had been dark, was no longer dark. See, that's what light does. Light, even one single solitary light, shines into the darkness. And the darkness cannot overtake it. Hold that principle in. Take that in. Darkness never wins. Never. The effect to shine into the darkness and is not overcome. And as we think then about the triumph of Jesus Christ and the reign of Jesus Christ, right? Because he is the true light. And the true light shines into that darkness and the darkness cannot ever defeat Christ. Ever. The kids think they know where I'm going. No, that's tonight. That's Jericho. Okay. The A of our eschatological view of amillennialism does not stand for apathy. The A means, look, we don't tie the reign of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to some thousand-year period of time. 
either before or after. He rules, he reigns now. Why? Because the principle is this. The true light has come into the world and the darkness has not overwhelmed it. There are too many Christians today who think that this is Christ. Oh, his light is out. We just got to wait for him to come again. Someday he's coming and then the light will come back and all will be well until now. It's darkness and darkness and darkness. It's gloom and despair and agony on me. It's a denial of the word of God. Because the word of God tells us that the true light has come into this world. And the darkness has not overcome it. In this day, in this age, please, please think of the importance of that. They may kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. They may imprison people, but they can't stop the light. Where did Dr. Tim take you a couple of weeks ago? They try to stop the light. Let's put Paul in prison. What happens? Does the light stop shining? Or do we have the conversion of a Philippian jailer? Do we have his whole family coming to Christ? Do we have a testimony to the city officials of that day and age? And how many prisoners might have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Could they stop the light? No. Why? Because the true light has come into this world and the darkness has not overcome it. Point three, the reality of the light. Matthew chapter 5, 14. Jesus is sitting there looking at this crowd that is assembled for this, what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. He looks at them and he says, you are the light. You. The understanding of that text is that he is referencing the church. You, church, are the light of the world. Wait a minute, but what is light? Light is the manifestation of the self-existent God. That's who the church is. Say, well, I don't know about that. Okay, what, did, what does the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit, call us? He says we are the body of Christ. Well, if we're the body of Christ, then we must represent the fullness of Christ, and we must then represent the manifestation of the self-existence of God in this world. Think about that. You are the church. You are the light church of Jesus Christ. Shining out in the midst of the darkness and what? The darkness has not overcome it. Why? Because of who we are? No, because of who it is that fills us. Whose body we are. We're not just some little add-ons. We are the manifestation of God's 
own self-existent being. Think of the power. Think of the majesty. Think of the beauty. That's who we are. The church. The light of the world. But remember how those words you function? They can either be singular or plural. Remember the reference I made to Clay and Abby? Right? Came up with their whole family. You. But it can also be singular. You. Yes, you as the church of Jesus Christ. But not just here at Little Farms. You as the church of Jesus Christ throughout the world. You are the light of the world. But so are you. You. The Spirit gave Paul a, a, a remarkable inspiration in, I mean, they're all remarkable, I suppose. But in terms of this, if you go to Philippians chapter 2. Because in Philippians 2, Paul is addressing through the Spirit, not just the church, but individuals within the church. So you go down to verse 12, or verse 14 of Philippians chapter 2. And it's found in the midst of this, this do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, no doubt there, right? Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Some of your versions have, as you shine as stars in the universe. Now think about that illustration. Stars are collective, yes, but when you see them in the sky, they are individual. It's not just that we as the church are the manifestation of the self-existent being of God in this world. Because of Christ in us, filling us, and through us, but you, each of you, each individual this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine little <laughs> little light no not really because wherever that light is Christ is and wherever Christ is is the manifestation of God's self-existent being it's no wonder the darkness cannot overcome a single solitary Christian life it never wins Those who have been marked 
those who have been bought with the precious blood of the Savior. Those who have been given the Holy Spirit as a gift of God by grace are a light. You are individually a light. Even in the midst of a huge, dark auditorium, one single light has an effect. That's your life. That's my life. That's our lives. That's the church of Jesus Christ. Each believer. But it's interesting, isn't it? The reality of the light also comes to play in the fact that we've sang a couple of hymns today, right, about the word. Psalm 104, or 119, verse 104, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light upon my path. Yet what did John 1 tell us? But that the word is Christ. See, the reality of our light is so dependent upon Christ. It is dependent on Christ filling us, on Christ being in us, on Christ's presence in us through that work of the Holy Spirit. But he also shines that light through the Word. Pastor Smith took us through the book of Proverbs. To show us how, how God's word is a light upon our path. Proverbs is filled, you see, of all these ordinary circumstances of life. Things about ants and how they function and just life in general. Yet God is teaching us these great glorious truths. Laws. Laws not imposed upon us to make our lives miserable, but laws given to us so that we understand life. Christ, the life, is the light of men. See, it all draws us back to Christ. We are the light of the world. Why? Because of Christ. You are the light of the world. Why? Because of Christ. The Word brings us that light. And so it's the dwelling in God's Word. It's the taking in God's Word. Filling us over and over and over again with the light of the glory of Christ. The Word. But if we read Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, we come up with something else. Right? You don't cover the light. Verse 2 of our children's little chorus hide it under a bushel no I'm going to let it shine what's the bushel what is it that we, we so often hide our light under you know what that is sin it doesn't stop the light 
doesn't put out the light. But that sin covers our light. Rather than shining forth as we should, our sin. Sin covers that. Hide it under a bushel. How do children respond at that point? What do children say? Hide it under a bushel. Thank you. You ever hear a child say, hide it under a bushel? No. Oh, they love this part, right? Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm going to let it shine. We need to deal with that sin that's a part of our life, that sin that entangles, that sin that holds us back, that, that sin. It, it's, it's not about the, the light's there. Oh, those glorious times, those glorious times in which we come confessing fully before the Lord our sin, acknowledging it. We might as well, God knows it anyway, but here's the glorious truth for those who have the light. It's already forgiven. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. But you see, the, the beauty of this whole thing, and with this I'll wrap it up, but the beauty of this whole thing is you see from Genesis to Revelation is really a story of light. It's the story of Christ. It's the story of the Word. This morning, Kit became part of that story of light. She's part of the, and and what's the word we keep using here? She's part of the visible church. She's part of the church that is seen. Part of the church that is evidenced. Part of the church that has light. See, we we might look at it in this and say, well, this is no convention experience. This is no near-death experience. This is kind of common and ordinary. No, it isn't. This is nothing but common and ordinary. I know our confessions use the term ordinary means of grace. There's nothing ordinary about any means of grace. It's all an amazing story. God this morning put his name upon Kit. Clay and Abby said they're going to raise Kit to know the story. They're going to raise Kit to be part of the story of light. To be part of the church of Jesus Christ. Part of this glorious message that the light is going to shine into the darkness and the darkness is not going to overcome it. I know sometimes in this day and age we look at our circumstances and we go, oh man, why bring children in the world today? Why not? The light's not going to go out. The reign of Christ isn't going to end. 
glory be to God, we've got another light bearer in the church today. For another generation. And generation until Christ comes. Light bearers of Christ. For his glory, for his honor. By nothing you and I have done. Not because God saw that we were so good at light bearing. Frankly, most of us probably stink at the job. Not because we were so perfect, a receptacle for the light. Imperfect people. Light. Bears for Christ only, only because of God's grace. 